Well, I bring greetings to each and every one of you uh, from the College of Theology and Evangelism. Fiji is a long name for Fiji Bible College and also from uh, the saints over there in Fiji Bible churches. It is a joy for me and uh, my dear friend here, Stanley uh, from Samoa, who has been traveling with me as we have come to the Shepherds Conference. We had another brother who flew out last night and he went back to the Fiji Islands. So grateful that we, as I was on this trip, the Lord had paved the way uh, for me to be with you this morning, to worship with you. Uh, so I'm very grateful to the Lord and thankful for the eldership uh, for allowing me to, uh, to be with you, to visit with you. And of course, we have come to a very important time in our worship. And so let's turn uh, our, our hearts, our minds to the Lord. And as we do so, I remember vividly in November of 2015 when our college decided to do something just beyond our campus. You know, we have a small campus, small operation, but we have a, we have a mission out there. So we said once our academic calendar ends, let's do some workshops around the country. So I worked with two of our alumni who were serving in the third biggest island of Fiji, which is called the Vuni which is also called the Garden Island of Fiji. So I went there and I left all of the arrangement for these two men to do. And so they organized for me to conduct this workshop in a Methodist hall. When I arrived there, I was pre-warned about this one, that there is no electricity. So though I took electronic items I know it's going to be a challenge with a little generator that they will be running. And with Fiji's, uh, you know, how hot and humid it is, with ventilation and all that, I knew that it will be a challenge. But when they guided me into the hall, and I came just like this to set myself for the first session, something caught my eye. Right beside the pulpit was a tombstone. And I became curious. Tombstone beside a pulpit. And so as I looked, it was Reverend William Cross from London Missionary Bible Society who came to the Fiji Islands as the first missionary to land on that particular island where I had come to do workshop in 2015 and who served the Lord there and he died there. The Pacific Islands, if you know any history about them, they were no easy mission field. They were known for its savagery. William Cross, when he boarded that ship from London, knew very well this was a one-way ticket. The mission was dangerous. Natives were barbaric. Anything was possible. Yet, historical record tells us that he died a natural death, struck with fever and lack of medical attention. There were further complications in his life of cholera and typhus fever. More than once, he had the opportunity to seek cure by a visit to Sydney. But love towards the heathen souls of the Fijians was stronger in him than the love of life itself. So he put off his voyage. Weary with removal, exhausted by the disease, he laid down his master's commission and slept in Jesus. His remains, of course, are in that village, in the chiefly village of Somosomo is the name of the village where I ended up going. And at first, in Fijian fashion, they neatly constructed a house and then I think the village elders decided to erect a church hall over it. A mission that mattered to God was successfully carried out. 
gospel was preached. And historians tell us that 79,000 turned from their cannibalistic lifestyle to Christ. What an amazing display of the power of God to save. What Paul talks about in Romans 1.16. Today we will look at a story where a prophet was given a similar commission to go on a mission. What did he do? Let's read to find out. So please pick up your Bibles and turn to Jonah chapter 1. In the remainder of the time we have, we will look at this first six verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tashish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tashish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tashish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord heard a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. What a story. Jonah is the smallest prophetic book that we find in the Old Testament that gives us the story of an ultimate fugitive. A man who fled from the presence of God. Not being a pagan, but a believer. Jonah is also one of the best known stories in the Bible. Yet many have misunderstood the story of Jonah. They see the heroic nature of a man's survival in a whale's belly for three days. But dear friends, there is much more to it than just a children's Sunday school story. Jonah's journey is of a different nature. If you will read the whole book, it's only four chapters, you'll find out that the prophet himself appears to have had no difficulties at all being swallowed and spat out by a great fish in chapter 2. Imagine for a while a Fiji Island adventure trip. Three expedition options. Option one, one night in a whale's belly for thousand dollars. Two nights for five hundred dollars. And the third night for free. Jonah gets all three nights for free. That's a pretty good deal. But in fact, it's not. From the beginning of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 4, Jonah had huge problems with God. And that is all captured within 48 verses. Jonah is a prophet who knows great deal truth about God. That he is merciful and gracious. We read that in chapter 4 verse 2. He knows that this great God, this good God is slow to anger, abounding in his steadfast love, always ready to forgive and desist from punishment. He knows that. But the implications of this truth were too great for this prophet to contemplate. In consequence, he remained in the level of awkward, an endless debate 
in the face of God's word. It was all fired by self-righteousness and unbelief. This pulpit here where I'm standing this morning, you, every Sunday, get the opportunity to hear from the mouth of God's servants, God's word. When you hear that, what do you do about that during the week? What do you do about the word that you hear on the Lord's day? Jonah also heard from the Lord. Dear friends, it matters to God when he speaks to you. It matters to him. And it also matters to you and me because looking at Jonah's story, when those who will not come in line with what God has to say will be like a fugitive. Life's decisions matter to God and it matters to you. So I would like to encourage you today and also to remind you today or exhort you today, today to pay close attention to Jonah's story so that you and I may honor God with our missionary service. So here is a resolve not to be like Jonah. And what is that resolve? Resolve to choose God's interest over yours. Resolve, even now, to choose God's interest over yours so that you may become the model missionary. In order to become a model missionary, we will consider three points this morning, and I'll just give you a very brief synopsis of it. The first one will be following God's directives. Second is defying God has consequences. And thirdly, in all of this, yet God does not let go. So first of all, following God's directives, we find in verses 1 to 2, is not optional. God's directives are not optional. When God speaks, He doesn't speak in foreign language. He doesn't speak with complex words or terms. When he speaks, his directives are clear. They are clearly defined. And that's exactly what we find in verses 1 to 2. Look with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. You see how clear that statement is. We can even simplify it to three words. God says to Jonah, arise, go, and cry. How hard is that to hear, to know what's, what has been asked? The one who gives these directives is no other than the Lord God Almighty. And that's where this book, this is how the first chapter begins. The word of the Lord came. The source of the commission here is God. The story here gets off to a fast start. It's the word of the Lord that has come. This is one of the blessed and thrilling truths of the ages. To this man, Jonah, living sometime, living somewhere, God spoke. To this man, God made known his will and holy purpose. That's all we find in those two verses as we read this. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah and it comes this very moment to you and me. 
Like so many stories of the Bible, Jonah's story begins with God. The first scene that we will see in verses 1 to 3, he introduces the characters in this story. And the characters are the Lord, Jonah, the people of Nineveh, and the sailors. We also must pay attention to where all this is happening, the locations. It's Nineveh, Tarshish, Joppa, and the ship. These detail information, names and places, sets the tension of the story. And the tension of the story is what will happen to Jonah and what will happen to Nineveh. In verse 1 we also find out about the recipient of this commission. The prophet to whom it is given his name is Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah doesn't give us much background information. The book of Jonah doesn't give us background information, but it's important for us to, to know a little bit about Jonah. And so elsewhere we find written about Jonah, 2 Kings 14.25 tells us that he was a servant of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing to have the designation. A servant. Of the Lord, such was Jonah. He was from a town in the tribe of Zebulun. That's recorded in Joshua 19, verses 10 and 13. Second Kings 14:25 tells us this: that Jonah was a good prophet, whose previous prophecies had come true. And I want to read one of that prophecies. And so, Second Kings 14:25 records God restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gethhefer. God's choice of him and no other proves God's approval of him. You know, as we read this story, one can think, God should have picked up another prophet. Why did he pick Jonah? No. This was a right choice by God. What is God asking Jonah to do? To go to these people in Nineveh. So these were Ninevites. The distance, from, the distance from Jonah's home, of course he was in northern Israel, to where God was sending him was about 500 miles. And it's, a, it's not a new name. Nineveh is already mentioned in the Bible first in Genesis 10. And like here, also in Genesis, it is mentioned as a great city. Now, who are these Ninevites? Who are these? These are who are these Assyrians? Well, from other passages of Scripture, we read that these Assyrians were the most barbaric, brutal, ferocious enemies that the nation of Israel had faced up to that point. And now it could make some sense to you why there is resistance. And this prophet. Several passages express the attitude of the prophets toward Nineveh and the Assyrians. Prophet Zephaniah and Nahum spoke harshly of Nineveh, as noted in Zephaniah 2, 13 to 15. And you could read Nahum chapters 2 and 3, which contains a detailed account of this. And I'll just read one sentence from there. And it says, the prophet says, no one, and talking about the Assyrians, no one will grieve when Nineveh falls, says the prophets. Prophet Nahum ends his book by saying this about the Ninevites, there is no relief for your breakdown, your wound is incurable. All who hear news of you clap their hands over you. Again, this vital information helps you to see why this prophet does not want to go on the mission. Why does God send Jonah to these people? 
Verse 2 answers that for us. Rise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. Preach to them. For their wickedness has come up before me. And so here we will even notice the character of God. If wickedness is coming up before me, then it is telling us on the other hand, who is this God? He's the Holy One. He's the Righteous One. He's the Just One. And Jonah has been called by God to preach in Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Not only does this verse tell us why he must go to them, but also look at chapter 3, verse 4, why he must go. Yet 40 days, middle part of verse 4, and Nineveh will be overthrown. There's a timeline set here for 40 days for these to repent and get right with the Lord. The Hebrew term here before me is literally to my faces. The phrase carries the idea in full mental view of and could be translated has come to my attention. This phrase it has come up before me expresses the fact that a situation is extreme enough to gain the special attention of God. And so God has chosen to send his choice prophet on this mission. Jonah's mission is simple and plain. Cry, says the Lord. You know, even if we simplify Jonah's mission, it's a one-word mission. Cry. Preach. Preach repentance. But for him, in order to be able to go and do that, of course he must get going. As I said, it's 500 miles away. And in order for him to get going, he needs to arise. So let's see what Jonah does. In verse 2, God says, Arise. I would like you to look down in verse 3 and compare that and see what Jonah does. And as you read verse 3, But Jonah rose, rose up. And you say, Well done, you salute Jonah. Great. But we keep reading and we are shocked. We find the greatest surprise of the book right here. Jonah arises not to go as we compare verse to verse here. He arises to flee. And you say, huh? Why? But this is the great surprise of the book. You know, with God's directive so clearly defined, why does this prophet despise the commission? But he does. That's the fact. He despises. His, his directives, God's directives, are intently defined. This is not a slip here by Jonah. He didn't heard it carefully. And so, as this shocks the audience, anybody reading this book, Questions like this arise. Why does a reputable prophet like Jonah make light of God's commission? Why does he despise the people of Nineveh and refuse to teach them the gospel when God is willing? Jonah could be heard saying, Really God? Are you serious? I am surprised that you are going to show mercy to them. As we look at the role of the prophets, whenever we read, God says, go, prophets move. Yes, some might complain and make an excuse at first like Moses. But they all carry out the orders. So here is the big surprise of the book. Jonah ran away from the Lord and the reader is immediately shocked by his intention. Voting with his feet, Jonah hotfoots to Joppa, catches a ship to Tarshish. 
to go to the ends of the earth. Tarshish was probably a port city near present-day Barcelona, Spain. A voyage from Joppa to Tarshish took approximately one year. So you see the point. Jonah is so intentional, he wants to go as far as it is possible from the Lord. A very important note here. The emphasis is not just on the direction of the escape or the manner in which it occurs, you know, hurried, sneaky, or the like. Think about this. The emphasis is on the object that is being abandoned. The object whose God being abundant. Instead of being in his presence, instead of God being Jonah's refuge, see what this prophet is up to and ends into. In Jonah's opinion, what God requires is a distasteful duty. He makes up his mind. That whatever it might cost him, he would not obey. Therefore, we read that he rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Order to Nineveh, he sets out for Tarshish. There were two cities on his map, and only two. There was Nineveh, God's choice. There was also Tarshish, the rebel's choice. Recognize something here. There are just two cities on your map. The Nineveh of obedience and the Tarshish of disobedience. I do not claim to know, I do not claim to know where your Nineveh is. It, it may be a distant city. It may be a city across the seas whose streets you will crimson with the blood of your sacrifice. It may be a city as near to you as the home in which you live. On the other hand, you may, you may go to Tashish. Tashish is the city of have your own way. Tashish is the city of do as you please. It is the city of take it easy. It is a city with no garden called Gethsemane without its gates and no rugged hill called Calvary that overlooks its walls. It is a city without a cross, and it is a city where people seldom sing and often sob. It is a city where nobody looks joy joyously into God's face and calls him Father. This is a serious matter. Yet we realize that the Bible says that by default, no one seeks after God. Romans 3 lays it out for us. We don't begin to seek God until God has first converted our hearts. God is the lifelong pursuit of the believer. Because we, by nature we are not seekers of God, but we are fugitives of God. Ever since Adam and Eve fled from the presence of God, you recall that in paradise when God would come in the cool of the garden, his creatures will be filled with delight and joyous anticipation to have fellowship with their maker till they sinned. And once they sinned, what happened? The first reaction to their sin was flight. They went and hid themselves. They went into hiding. They became fugitives fugitives in the face of God. So don't, don't be too surprised about Jonah's actions. Jonah's first parents did something of the same nature. This is the nature of our existence, to flee from God. And yet the psalmist declares in Psalm 139, Where shall 
I flee from His presence. How many times in your life you had a vocation? A sense of God calling you to do something. But you ignored it. You neglected it. You avoided it. You put it off. Or you may have even found a substitute for it. Isn't that common? Don't we struggle? Brothers and sisters, understand that the propensity to flee from God does not end in our conversion. Jonah's problem was not with what he knew because he clearly had substantial theological knowledge. I can point one out to you. Look at chapter 1 verse 9. He understands God as the, the creator. He says to them, I, I fear, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea in the dry land. That's pretty good theology there. As you know how Proverbs starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you know Genesis 1 talks about who made this war. He already knew what he needed to know. He simply knew the Lord rules over all. The problem was that his theology had not sufficiently penetrated his heart and his way of life. And that's the thing all of us have to watch also. He acted against what he knew. So Jonah is described here as an anti-prophet. Not a pretty good uh, designation to carry. Of course, if you've had a, a wonderful reputation, remember God's choice of him to go. No, no other prophet but him. And yet he ends up in this situation. He finds himself in this dilemma. He does the exit, exact opposite of what was told. Jonah's rejection of the divine commission is shown in concrete terms as a desire to put as much distance as possible between himself and the place where God revealed his word to him. And so he intently desires to withdraw himself from the service of God. You know, do you know Jonah, however, is the only prophet to run away even before delivering his message. Why does he do this? Chapter 4, verse 2, we have already looked at that. Tells us his own reason for fleeing. If you put it in uh, simple terms, he was upset with God for not getting even with the Assyrians. We learn here that men of God, like Jonah, and so many down in church history, also that we find in the pages of Scripture, are not free from false sin or weakness. Noah started so well. We know Abraham, we know Moses. When God says to him, speak to the rock, and he comes to his own terms and strikes the rock. Story of David. We learn here that men of God are not free from false sin or weakness. Jonah's recalls Adam and Eve's ridiculous effort to hide in the Garden of Eden after they had sinned, thinking God cannot spot them. And as we are reading this story, note the irony here. You know, jo Jonah's whole plan is what? It's to run away from God. You know, you think of a, a little one that you have and just to make sure that you have a control on the little one and you imagine having a little one on, on a leash 
and the leash is, say, three meters long, and the little one says, mm, mommy is busy talking, and I can take a flight, and that whole mission fails very quickly. And so Jonah, fleeing from the Lord, achieves nothing. He's caught by God. Jonah's mission fails very quickly. And it's not a mission that fails very quickly, but what we are going to look at, verses 3 to 4, that defying God has serious consequences, prophet. Defying God has serious consequences. And so God will confront needless resignation. And so we see with Jonah's actions, now we see the Lord, verse 4, heard a great wind. That word great appears almost 14 times in this book. It's an important word for the author. Nineveh is a great city. The Lord hurls a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm, a repeat of that word, on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. So when God intervenes in the, comes into the sea and things are not of light, Matter, but also great. After receiving the direct divine commission, the passage tells us Jonah's five energetic actions. And those energetic actions are found in verses 3 and 5. You know, he rises up to flee to Tarshish, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship, he paid the fare, and then he dropped down to verse 5. The last part there, he had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down. Five energetic actions are in verse 4 met with one energetic action from God. God hurls a great wind. As the Lord responds with a single action, we notice here that God is also pursuing his defiant prophet. Jonah's actions evoke a dramatic response from God. God throws down upon the sea a gale so furious that even these experienced sailors are frightened. The storm is no coincidence. In fact, you know, sometimes you can predict storms. Like in Fiji, we can predict from October to April. This is our cyclone season. And for these seasoned sailors, this wasn't that time. Because they will not set out to sail. The storm is not no coincidence. The author emphasizes his divine origin by placing the subject, the Lord, at the very start of the sentence, reversing the more usual Hebrew order of verb subject. Here we find the, the sailors are in great danger in verse 5 because of what is going on. With all that is going on in verses 4 and, and 5 as we read that when this storm hit, the ship was about to break up. Sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God. They are praying to their gods. And even this is interesting. Why have they set to sail? Because they have to deliver the cargo from point A to point B, see what they are doing. They are throwing all their cargo into the sea. So what does that mean? Aboard the mission, return back to the port. All these things are very vivid. Even one author commenting on this uh, particular verse speaks of the ship as it were a person struggling with the storm, moaning and groaning, breathing heavily and finally giving up. 
rather than continuing to fight against the wind and waves. The powers of nature, what is interesting that we see here, the powers of nature, and even the ship itself, all cooperate with God in putting an end to the prophet's vain efforts to escape from the presence of the Lord. And the, and the man who's supposed to cooperate doesn't. And yet in one word, nature does. Years ago, a young man began to nip and talk loudly of being temperate in all things. He defended his right to drink, boasted of his ability to stop when he liked. He's in the storms now. Storms of financial distress, storms of social degradation, storms of domestic unhappiness, storms of spiritual decline. It's dangerous to play with little sins. Decisions matter when one decides to do something wrong versus when one decides to take God's word and obey it. God is in control of things, not us. When we, cho when we choose to disobey Him, we should expect bad consequences. From the moment Jonah went his own way, things started to go wrong. But the story doesn't end or continue on that note. When what we look in verses 5 and 6 also tells us there's a God who will not let go. You know, our tendency is if, if somebody is really going against the grain or going against us, we would rather change the team. We would like to find a replacement. In this story, we, we see a God who is pursuing his fugitive prophet. And God does that, not in some slow motion, but he does that relentlessly. As he's pursuing the only Israelite in this story. Remember, the sailors are non-Jewish, and where he's supposed to go, those are non-Jewish. At the moment here we find this Israelite, a sleepy prophet. Text tells us his descendant in the ship's hole laying down in sleep. This is hard to believe, really hard to believe because of all that is happening with the ship tossing on the sea and sailors shouting, you know, uh, frantically above deck. You wonder how could he sleep in such deep sleep. Some scholars say the way the boat was designed, you would have been drenched. I don't know. I wasn't there. So Jonah, with all that he's going, turned his back on his duty and he turned his back on God. The situation is, uh, the situation here that Jonah creates is critical. But what we see, although he has forgotten God, God in his mercy has not forgotten him. God still loves Jonah, still longs for him, still hopes for him. And so in mercy sends a storm after him. You know, there was a dangerous cargo that the ship had on board. It had better have had gasoline or TNT than a rebellious prophet. It was dangerous cargo on that ship. But it was in mercy that the Lord sends the storm after Jonah. One commentator by the name of Coverdale translates and says, The Lord hurled a storm into the sea. Let us thank God for the storms that rose us, that wake us up that keep us from sleeping our way into the pit. May the Lord send us any kind of storm rather than allow us to fling ourselves eternally away from His presence. Aren't you glad that God will not 
ever allow a man to go comfortably and peacefully to eternal death. He never allows any man to be lost until he has done his test to save him. You know, problems do come in life. Jonah had challenges. There were problems and difficulties. And life sometimes becomes hard. The battle rages in the mind. And even today, sometimes people don't want to cope with life. Life is hard. They tend to pull down the shutters, turn off the light, cover their heads with a blanket, and try to sleep until all their problems go away. Like children, they too think that if we cannot see, we cannot be seen. If we just sleep, all the trials of life will disappear. The trouble with that is our trials will wait for us at our bedside and be the first to greet us when we wake up. We still have to deal with them. Christians have no reason to try to escape life since the grace of God supports us like no other and His love accompanies us like no other. You know, we read in Psalm 23, what a good shepherd you and I have. And with what? With all that is happening here in this story, is anything but a good shepherd in pursuit of his fugitive prophet. And this good shepherd promises that we will suffer no lack. Often we get concerned and, and worried about things in life. He says, I make you lie down in green pastures. I, I like the way the psalmist writes that. You know, even as we, as we look at, you know, how our, our day is set, you know, we only lie down towards the end of our very heavy day. Got to do all these things. And then finally, when your body hits the mattress, you say, wow. With the good shepherd on board, he makes us lie down in green pastures. How wonderful is the truth. And not only that, he, he, he leads, he guides us in the paths of righteousness. He leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our soul. And how much we need that because of all that rages in the world today and all the, the noises that bombard our soul. So much confusion. Run to the shepherd. We have a great, good shepherd. And how wonderful it would be for the Ninevites to find this shepherd. And for Jonah to go to them to tell them about this great high king of heaven. And to know that he, yes, he's holy, yes, he's just, yes, he's righteous. But he's also gracious and merciful and mighty to save. You know, we can have a count here and how many of us are here this morning. Let's say, let's say 820,000 more and then let's sing to this God. You know, why do we exist? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy for That's exactly what God wants to do. Those 120,000 will only add to the glory of this great God. Jonah cannot see that somehow. This last three years uh, with COVID and everything happening uh, was not that challenging for us. We had some challenges, but not as bad as things were elsewhere. But during this course of time, the Lord allowed four families to cross paths with us at the Bible College back in Fiji. And all of them were struck with different storms of life for, for almost over a decade. And yet, running around and as a fugitive, for them to come finally to knock on our door and say, is there any help for us? Can you pray for us? Can you tell us anything about well, how can we come out of our problems and difficulties? Of course, we know the Prince of Peace. Of course, we know who to point to. Storms are not all wrong. They, they do service purpose and one of the great things that we see here that these sailors who are fearing the storm the way the story develops they start fearing the 
Lord. There's some wonderful things that we find here in this story. And so for us, as we wrap this up, God's directive for us to live and thrive. Sometimes storms are important to bring us back to prayer. But the sad thing is Jonah has still not prayed according to chapter 1. The pagans have, and of course they are praying to someone who cannot even hear. These dealings arise out of our prophetic commission and its attempted evasion. That's all we see about with Jonah. Jonah is simply an anti-hero here. But let me say this. Jonah is not the story of a man and a fish. Rather, it is the story of a man and his God. Jonah was self-absorbed and lost sight of his great God. The weakness of the present day Christianity is often on this one fact. People have come to think that Christ requires us to give up nothing when we become his and take up nothing. On the contrary, Christ requires us to give up everything that can possibly militate against absolute obedience to his will. One of the life-changing scripture verses for me has been Galatians 2.20. I'm so glad that that particular truth had a profound impact on my life and it shaped the course of my life. Where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life now that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. God desires for us to live and thrive. So decisions matter, dear friends. Make God-honoring choices. Resolve today to choose God's interest over yours so that you may become the moral missionary. Today you can make the most of this opportunity by choosing to give glory to God through your obedience. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me give you an instance of who is a wise man and woman and will finish. A ready person never needs to get ready. He is ready. A ready person never needs to get ready. He is ready. Think of the time we waste trying to get ready once God has called. Or worse still, fleeing from God, fleeing from our God-given mission. May the Lord help us to trust Him. May the Lord help us to love Him. And may the Lord help us to persist in faithful service to Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You for the truths that we can take away from this wonderful book. Help us in our journey. In Jesus' name, amen.